In his book, The Evangelism, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, written by uh, J.A. Packer, he stated that if you are a Christian, you pray, and the acknowledgement of God's sovereignty is the basis of your prayers. When Christians pray, they agree that God is the source of all good they have and all the good they can expect for the future. Do you as Christian pray? If you do, it means you are acknowledging the sovereignty of God. It means that you are hoping in Him that He is good in all that He does. However, there are circumstances in our lives that cause us to question whether God is really in control. And during this time, in our fallen world, our eyes are actually saturated with a lot of evil things that are happening. Just when we are opening our internet browsers, we are immediately bombarded with a lot of breaking news, like wars, uh, natural disasters, poverty, political corruption, conflict with one another, and many other evil things that are happening right now. Our own uh, personal experiences also puzzle us and make us doubtful whether God truly hears when we are praying to Him during our sickness, during our depression, financial or relational difficulties, and sometimes during our work stability problems. In our text today, Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk presented questions to God comparable to our own questions today. Is God sovereign? And if He is, is He good? And for the whole month of July, we will be covering uh, the book of Habakkuk. Except for July 16 and July 30, we will be preaching from Habakkuk until uh, chapter, chapter 1 to chapter 3. And our sermons uh, will help us to trust in the Lord no matter what, because the righteous shall live by faith. That's the theme that uh, Habakkuk is presenting. And today, today's main idea for, for our text is trust in the Lord who is sovereign and good in all that He does. Trust in the Lord who is sovereign and good in all that He does. And I have three points to cover this topic, and they are the following. <clears throat> Number one, praying to God in difficult times. Praying to God in difficult times. And my emphasis in this is that prayer is an expression of our trust in the Lord. Second, God's response in difficult times. God's response in difficult times. And my emphasis to this is that the Word of God is God's revealed will, and we can trust the Word of God. And lastly, recognizing who God is even in difficult times. Recognizing who God is even in difficult times. And I will be emphasizing here that we can trust the Lord that He is sovereign sovereign and that he is good in all that he does and so let's begin our study with our first point praying to god 
in difficult times. Now let's look at Habakkuk chapter 1 and we will be studying from verses 1 to 4. Verses 1 to 4. The pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw, How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. When people pray, they are expressing their reliance on whoever they are praying to. Say, for example, people who pray to Buddha, to Allah, to Mama Mary, to their ancestors, and for Christians, to God the Father in the name of Jesus. Prayer is an expression of hope that the one on whom they, to whom they are praying to will help them in times of their need. And according to these passages, Habakkuk prayed to the Lord. And therefore, he is relying to God for his need. Habakkuk prayed to the Lord, which is when we look at the verse, it's capital L-O-R-D, which point us to how the Bible described the Lord in uh, the old times. He is Yahweh. He is the one who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. He is the God introduced to us by the Bible. And so this is the God that Habakkuk is praying to. Now, who is Habakkuk? Look at verse 1. In verse 1, we can read that Habakkuk is a prophet. Habakkuk is a prophet. And what is a prophet? A prophet is someone that brings message of Yahweh to God's people. And in Habakkuk's uh, case, he is a prophet of God to uh, the people of Judah or the kingdom of Judah. Judah is the southern kingdom of Israel when they divided. However, Habakkuk in this passage, if we will be studying this, looks like a forerunner. A forerunner is someone who is like uh, kids when you were uh, going to school. If you are going to enter a forest uh, for your school camping, sometimes your friends will be pushing you, go ahead and lead us. So that's a forerunner. Um, sometimes uh, siblings will be pushing one another in entering a dark room. So that's, ki that's a kind of forerunner. And so Habakkuk is like that. He is uh, being pushed by the situations of his own days about the difficulties that they are experiencing. And that is Habakkuk. He is kind of representing uh, his whole people on uh, uh, presenting their case to God or presenting what they are experiencing to God. But Habakkuk is also a kind of mediator. Mediator is someone who is uh, uh, being the middleman. 
So, Habakkuk is like a mediator between God and man. And so, what we can see here is that he has to gather <clears throat> all the courage that he has so that he can present the people's complaint to God about the evil situation that is happening in Judah. Even though he had no idea how God would answer his complaints, he raises the questions of the righteous during his days. So what can we learn from the prayer of Habakkuk? When we look at the passage at verse 2, Habakkuk prayed. He said, How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? How long, Lord, must I cry out to you about violence? So this is the prayer of Habakkuk in the form of a question. Now, a question can be asked in two ways. The first is to ask the question with a genuine desire to get an honest response from the responder. And the second way is to ask the question in a doubtful manner whether the one being asked will be able to respond according to what he is expecting. In this case, I would say that Habakkuk is in a kind of mix of two. He asks the question to God in an expectation of receiving an active answer from God to help him from the evil that they are experiencing. It is a question that assumes that God should save. And so Habakkuk is praying, in this case, according to his knowledge about God. He described God uh, on this passage like Lord, L-O-R-D. So that means he has a knowledge of who God is. He is the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, um, this is the prayer of Habakkuk. What can we learn from this prayer? We can pray based on the character of God. This is one thing that Christians can do when they pray. Our prayer should be influenced by the character of God introduced to us by the scripture. One example that was given to us as a pattern of our prayer is the Lord's Prayer, and that is being taught by the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples during his days here on earth. They asked Jesus Christ, Lord, how can we pray? And Jesus Christ told them, this is how you would pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That means they know who is the Father. He is the sovereign ruler. And they should place their dependence on him and that he is a good God. Now, the question that is being presented by the book of Habakkuk to us is, what about us today? How do we present our prayer to God? Are we praying according to His revealed character from God's Word? Or are we praying to Him based on the formulated uh, context of God influenced by this world? Christians should pray according to the character of God presented by God's Word. Yet Habakkuk also presented his question to God in a seeming confusion and doubt. Let us examine how Habakkuk raised his question in verse 3 to 4. 
Habakkuk said, Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Then he talked about oppressions, violence, turmoil, disputes that don't go away, but rather becoming worse and worse. Instead of going down, it escalates. And lastly, Habakkuk tells God his view of God's law. What did Habakkuk say? Look at verse 4. Habakkuk says, This is why the law is ineffective, and justice never emerged. And so Habakkuk here is the kind of the second way. He is presenting his question to God in a second way, in a doubtful manner. We can, what can we learn out of this? I would like to argue that like Habakkuk, we can present our own questions, our own confusion to God. However, we should present it in a manner of trust and wholehearted dependence on God. When we pray, our prayer should be springing from a wholehearted dependence on God. Is God really in control? And if He is, is He good in all that He does? Why is God silent about the ongoing evil in my life? Sometimes this is the way we are praying to God. Is God's law ineffective in accomplishing its objectives? Sometimes we are like Habakkuk, complaining to God. But let's see the background of Habakkuk, Habakkuk's complaint. Habakkuk's complaint is coming from the violence and wickedness that is happening on the kingdom of Judah. The kingdom of Judah is sinning greatly unto the Lord. King Manasseh, King Jehoiakim, King Zedekiah, around these three kings, maybe uh, Habakkuk is pronouncing this passage around this time. So, <coughs> these kings that I just mentioned are leading the whole nation of Judah into spiritual adultery. They throw their sons through the fire to sacrifice to, to sacrifice to false gods. They practice witchcraft, sorcery, consulted mediums and spiritists, and instead of promoting God's law, they are imposing tax to people and committing social injustices. And what else? They, they gave the silver and gold collected from the people to the king of Egypt, whom God told them not to associate with. They formed alliances with other nations. In short, they are not relying to the Lord. They forsake their, their God, and they even went to idolatry. And you can read that from 1 Kings chapter 21 to 25, and also in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, chapter 36 <clears throat> and so during this time many of Judah's upright people in his days would have agreed with Habakkuk they are lamenting to God they feel confused as to what happened to their God whose law expresses his wrath against sin and the evil similarly during the New Testament times, there are many upright people 
who was pondering why God is silent for 400 years from the time of Malachi until the time of the coming of John the Baptist. The Roman Empire conquered the nation of Israel. Their present King Herod is a puppet of an unbelieving nation of Rome. People are subject to taxes, and many people are waiting for God's deliverance through the promised Messiah. Why is God silent? And similarly, in our lives today, sometimes in our prayers, we feel that God is silent to our prayers and our petitions. However, when evil entered to the lives of God's people, the Bible clearly states that Christians should pray with complete dependence on God in the waiting time. We should wait to the Lord with whole dependence on Him. Why? Romans 8.28 says, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. We might not be understanding what's happening, but we can hope in the Lord that He's working all things together for our good. Habakkuk may not be seeing these things working out together in his time, but Habakkuk can rest assured that his lament is not unheard. God listens. <clears throat> and many righteous ones in Judas, <clears throat> in Judah, in the kingdom of Judah, may not be seeing how all things are working together, but their cry to God doesn't go to a deaf ears. God hears. In the New Testament, we can see that God heard the prayer of the righteous people. One of them was Simeon, the old Simeon who was waiting for, the, for Israel's consolation. He saw God's salvation at the coming of the incarnated Son of God, Jesus Christ. Many people who repented from their sin and heard the good news about God's salvation through Jesus Christ have proven that the law is not ineffective. They experience the saving power of the gospel of God. They place their trust and hope in God's salvation through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Jesus Christ proved that the law is not ineffective. The law of God is effective. Why? Because the law punished our transgressions, our iniquities in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ bore Habakkuk's sin to the cross. He died the punishment that Habakkuk deserved. Jesus bore our sins to the cross and died the death that we deserve to die. The law punished Jesus because of our sins. The law also rewarded us with an eternal life, an inheritance of eternal life, that God the, the Father promises to anyone who would believe in Jesus Christ. This was done when God credited to us the perfect righteousness of His Son who lived the life required by the law, which we all have failed to live. And the people of Habakkuk, the New Testament believers, the people of today, and the people of tomorrow can say, 
that the law of God is effective because of Jesus Christ. We can see this truth that Jesus Christ is even a greater Habakkuk. He is a greater forerunner. He experienced the pain and sufferings that we have experienced. He was tempted in every way, yet did not sin. Jesus Christ is the greater mediator. He is like a greater Habakkuk. He is now mediating between the Father and us. And therefore, we can humble ourselves before God and present our prayers to Him with complete dependence because we have Jesus Christ. However, at times we may be surprised that God's answer to our prayers are a little bit different to our own expectations. And this is the next passage, what the next passage is revealing to us. And it teaches that Christians need to rely on God's revealed will, which is the Word of God. That's our second point. God's response in difficult times. Our emphasis on this is that we can trust in God's revealed will, which is God's Word. Now look with me in verse 5 to verse 11. God responded to Habakkuk. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. In other words, God is telling Habakkuk that you will be amazed at what, on what I will be doing. There is an amazing work that God is doing. Verse 6, Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to the bar. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps excuse me, to capture it. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. In this passage, what we can see is that God is doing an amazing thing. And he is now telling Habakkuk, you should be amazed at what I will be doing. I am raising up an evil nation to answer your prayer, to punish the wickedness of Judah. How evil is this nation? The Chaldeans is a bitter and impetuous nation. That means they are not scared of anything. It says that they are terrifying. Their view of justice and sovereignty stems none other from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. That means their military are really great and terrifying. They are fearing nothing. And they are compared to the, to the wolves of the nights. They are even compared to leopards. 
I would imagine if we come out from this door and we met a leopard, I don't know what will happen to us. And so this is what God is telling Habakkuk, that you are going to see this. You will not believe this when you hear about it. And so with this response, Habakkuk is more perplexed to God's response more than his perplexed complaint to God. As a summary, if we, if we look at this passage, Judah's wickedness will be punished by God as a discipline. And however, uh, when we look at this passage, there are two questions that arise from this. The first is that, does God actually causes the evil actions that people do? And second, if he does, then is God not responsible for sin? I think this is what's going on in Habakkuk's mind. So let's see the first question. Does God actually cause the evil actions that people do? Look at verse 6 to 10. When we examine this, it, it shows to us that God causes or God uses people's evil action to accomplish His purpose. However, I would like to bring a caution to us today so that we will not fall into the mistake of believing that God is directly doing anything evil. No, God is not doing directly anything evil. Nor the Bible blames God for the evil or nor the Bible teaches that God delights in evil. And we will get to that later. However, here are some other Bible references that we, we can uh, go to to answer this question. Exodus 9.16 God raises up Pharaoh, an evil king, to demonstrate God's power and to make God's name known throughout the world. Genesis 50.20 When Joseph, one of Israel's twelve sons, was sold into slavery in Egypt, uh, sold as a slave into Egypt, and then he met his brothers. He said to his brothers, You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the survival of many people. Look at Second Samuel 12.11 When King David sinned, the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to tell him, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. In the account of Job's suffering, even though God gave Satan permission to inflict him harm, Job sees it as from the hand of the Lord. What did Job say? The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The, the scripture is God's revelation of His will. And this is what is presented to us by God's scripture. Habakkuk received from the Lord His word, His revealed will. And this revealed will represents or presents that God will cause an evil nation to accomplish His purpose to discipline Judah. However, I want us to realize 
that the main argument that the scripture is presenting to us is not that not on figuring out where evil comes from. That's not the main point. Rather, the scripture leads us to the realization that the problem of evil is unsolvable by human beings. No one can solve this problem. No one can figure out how this is happening. And so if it is unsolvable by us, it points us to the other direction of evil. It points us to the ultimate good. It points us to God. We can find an answer to the problem of evil towards God. All these passages that I mentioned from the scripture teaches that if the problem of evil is a mystery to us, then what we should do is to rely to the only one who is sovereign ruler over his entire creation. Even the evil that you are most fearful of is under God's control. He is in control of everything. Our mistake is to think about evil as something, as a separate entity aside from God. It is not the Bible, what the Bible is teaching. If we will be thinking about that, then we will be mistakenly thinking that before creation, there are two things that are are existing already before God, which is good and evil. No, God is in control of everything, even the evil that we are experiencing today. Ultimately, this problem points us to rely to the sovereign ruler. Even evil is subject to God's sovereignty. Now, let's go to the second question. If God causes the evil actions that people do, then is God responsible for sin? Let's read Habakkuk 1.11. On the last portion of that passage, we can read that God declared the Chaldeans to be guilty. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. The Bible never blames God for the evil actions that happen from sinful men's willing choices. The scriptures simultaneously claim that God's plan and foreknowledge providentially direct all events through the willing choices of true human beings who are morally accountable for their own actions. One of the best examples that we can look in the Bible is the most heinous evil, heinous crime in the history, and that is the crucifixion of the Son of God. According to Acts chapter 4, verse 27, King Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, and all the people of Israel came to perform what God had planned, what God has, has ordained to happen. However, all the apostles who write the New Testaments, all the writer of the New Testaments, write explicitly, attrib- they did not attribute any moral blame to God. Because all of the deeds of these people who crucified Jesus were the product of their own sinful, willing choices. They were all accountable. And so what are we to do, just like Habakkuk, when we are presented with the truth of God's word, which sometimes are perplexing to us? When we are faced with God's word, 
that tells us to forsake our pride even though we are the ones who are right and the, our brother or sister in the Lord is the one who is more wrong in our relational conflicts. What are we to do when God's word tells us to confess our sins even if confessing our sins will cause many, many consequences out of our wrongful choices? What are we to do when the Word of God says that we need to be corrected, that we need to be rebuked, that we need to be taught? God's Word teaches that God is the sovereign ruler, not us. We are God's subject. We need to trust God in His words. We are to trust God in His words. When Christians are confronted with any kind of problem of evil, what Christians must do is immediately confess that I don't know the answer, but do not lose hope. We need to admit that what's happening is a mystery to us, that our hope comes from the Lord, and we can run to God's word. We can run to Him by relying to His words that presents to us the rescue, the shelter, the salvation. That is what makes the Bible very different to all other literatures that tries to solve the problem of evil. Because the Bible presents evil, it's not hiding evil, but at the same time, the Bible is presenting to us the solution, which is God Himself. God Himself is the solution. He is the ultimate good that we need. We can find refuge in Him. We can run to Him. Even the evil that we are fearing, we can run towards God. God, who is wrathful towards our sins, remember mercy. All who are guilty of sin but recognize God's rule can shelter themselves under His mercy and grace to be delivered from God's wrath against our evil. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible presents to us that God is wrathful towards evil, but we can find mercy and grace on Him. However, these passages also reminds us that all human beings bear moral obligations for our own choices, for our own willing choices. And what is this passage giving us today? Should we not choose to take refuge under the shelter of God's mercy in Christ Jesus, God's wrath is available for our sins. So dear friends, if you are listening today and you have not placed your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, the Word of God, God's revealed will, calls you to choose what is right and pleasing to God. Do not be self-righteous. Instead, humble yourself to God and find refuge in Him. Now, we have already seen how Habakkuk prayed and presented his lament to God, that he is dependent to God. We already seen how God has revealed His will through His words. And now we are left with the remaining passages that tells us that we must bring ourselves to recognize who God is even in our difficult times. This is the last point for today. Recognize who God is even in our difficult times. Read from verse 12 to verse 17. 
Are you not from eternity, Lord my God, my Holy One? You will not die. Habakkuk is speaking here. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while the one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? <coughs> you have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. The Chaldeans pull them all up with a hook, catch them in their dragnet, and gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and rejoice. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things their portion is rich and their food plentiful, while they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the local tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. This passage tells us how Habakkuk understands who God is. How Habakkuk understands the works of God's hand and what he did as a response to God's revealed, uh, God's revealed will. But I would like to argue in light of this passage that instead of doing what Habakkuk did, the scripture teaches us that our proper response to God is that we should rightly recognize who God is, rightly recognize the works of His hand, and rightly recognize His goodness even in the difficult times. In this passage, we need to know that Habakkuk's eyes were too short-sighted. His eyes were so saturated with the evil that is happening in his days that in verse 12, Though Habakkuk is acknowledging Yahweh, Lord, as eternal being, and the one who is too pure to look on evil, and that God will not tolerate wrongdoing, however, he is asking God, why would he tolerate the evil of the Chaldeans to harm Judah, who Habakkuk considers to be more righteous than the Chaldeans? Christians today, have a basic understanding of who God is and what are His attributes are. Uh, this basic understanding shows even in our prayers. Uh, when we have a problem, sometimes we can become like Habakkuk. Sometimes we can say to God, God, I know you are holy, that you cannot even look at evil, but where are you right now? Why are you silent in this evil that I am suffering? Why do you even tolerate this evil that is happening in my life? But God is gracious to Habakkuk. God is gracious to us. We are, cover, we are going to cover this uh, next Sunday or on Habakkuk chapter 2. But I want us to see in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2 what God did to Habakkuk's eyes. God did something in Habakkuk's eyes. Look at what is written here. Write down this vision. Vision uses our eyes. And then, what can we read here? It says further, further that 
clearly inscribe it on tablets so that one may easily read it. It means that it needs a, an accurate sight to see what is happening. So God is enlarging the focus of Habakkuk's vision from being narrow to a broader perspective of what God is doing in his days that he will not believe when he hears about it. That means Habakkuk will be amazed. And dear friends, we need to understand here that all of us need what God did to Habakkuk. We need God to surgically operate our spiritual eyes so that we can see God's broader perspective in His Word. We need the light of God. We need God's illumination by His Holy Spirit so that we might understand His words. Left with our human capability, even if you are more intelligent than Albert Einstein, you will not be able to understand what's God, what God's Word is presenting. And you will not see the glory of God that is being shown in the face of Jesus Christ without the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Actually, this is what Pastor Jesse preached in Luke chapter 18. There was a beggar sitting by the roadside. All of the people following Jesus didn't see who Jesus is. But this beggar who was blind see Jesus for who he is. He exclaimed, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. <coughs> Habakkuk's eyes were so short-sighted that he even took the sinfulness of Judah lightly. Before, he was presenting to God about the wickedness and evil of Judah. But now, look at verse 13. He is questioning God why he would allow an evil nation to swallow the more righteous Judah. And what Habakkuk did is the common mistake that people do today. Most of us have a wrong assumption that bad things only happen to bad people. Bad things happen only to bad people and it cannot happen to a good people like you and me. We think of that if God is good and sovereign, then how can He allow storms, wars, poverty, and sickness? And it also deals with our personal problem. How can God allow these bad things to happen to a good person like me? But the Bible tells us that we suffer and die as a result of our sins. The Bible do not teach that we suffer in exact proportion to the gravity of our guilt and sin. That's not what the Bible is teaching. Neither, neither do we suffer as sinless, innocent people before the Holy God. Instead, Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 13, verse 5, that unless we repent, we will all likewise perish. That is what the Bible is presenting to us. But brothers and sisters, the, the, the Bible is also telling us that we should be amazed towards God because in God's wrath, 
towards our sin, He remembers mercy. And unless we repent, we will all perish. And so the Bible is calling us to repent. The next passage in verse 14 to 17 tells us that Habakkuk's short-sightedness caused him not only to see uh, the glorious works of God's hand, but also, uh, sorry, uh, he, he, he is not so, uh, he is so short, short-sighted that he did not only see how glorious God is, but also the works of his hands. In verse 14 to 17, Habakkuk compared human beings to the fish and the marine creatures. He dehumanized human beings whom God has made in his own image. Habakkuk compared them to uh, marine creatures that have no ruler, not even God. He removed God out of the sovereign ruling authority over people. That's how short-sighted Habakkuk is in this passage. And we might not realize, but our own tendency when we are confronted with the truth of God's word is to justify our own sins. We, we often put the blame towards anything else except ourselves. And Isaiah 5.20 is right about the people. When the people says that we call evil good and good evil. When we are confronted with uh, the, the truth of God's word, uh, we run around and try to look for something where we can hide our sins and try to make it look good. But God is sovereignly ruling over all his creation. If we hide our sins by justifying it, his righteousness will bring all evil to our discipline so that we might repent and turn to his mercy. And if we don't listen, if we continue to make our heart as hard as, as, hard as the heart of Pharaoh, then we will face the ultimate punishment of God. When he judged the, the sin of all people because the law is effective. However, those who shelter themselves under the mercy of God through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through faith, can find rest and find no need to hide from God's justice. And so this goes down altogether that we should recognize the sovereign goodness of God even in our difficult times. Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. In this passage, Habakkuk stood at his guard post. He stationed himself. And sometimes we are like Habakkuk. We stand and demand an explanation to God and say to him, I thought that you are a good God. And if you are, I do not want you to tolerate this evil even for one second. But God is so gracious to us. God is so gracious to Habakkuk. Because if God would not tolerate evil for a single second, he would need to terminate Habakkuk right on that spot. He would need to terminate us right on our kneeling down on our prayer if we are demanding God to not tolerate evil even for one second. Dear friends, if this is us today, we should correct ourselves by what God's word is presenting to us. We should humble ourselves to the sovereign and good God 
is rightfully just to punish our sin, yet He is all good to us who are sinful because though we deserve just punishment and condemnation, we have Jesus Christ. We can pray to Him, Lord, in Your wrath, remember mercy. And Habakkuk in this passage presents to us that the things that what should not be done before a holy and righteous God. We should recognize that God is sovereignly ruling with His goodness. And so as a conclusion, brothers and sisters, the book of Habakkuk is a blessing. It's a blessing for God's people. In the times of Old Testament until today and until the coming of the return of Jesus Christ. In the lament of Habakkuk to God, it reflects our pains and sufferings. And like Him, we can pray since prayer is the expression of our trust to God. Our prayer should reflect our sense of who God is as revealed in the Bible. We can completely rely to Him that He is sovereign and that He is ruling with His goodness. We should acknowledge Him by taking a humble posture, a repentant heart that seeks refuge under the shelter of His mercy, which is in Christ Jesus. Let us all pray.